Hey guys, how's it going? Landon Harvey here. Welcome to Landon Live, the only podcast interviewing entertainers and creative types from all walks of life. Catch us on social media at Landon Venting, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Looking back, it is so neat to see how far the show has come. Uh, it's originated on YouTube as a YouTube series. You can catch all the episodes on YouTube if you want to see these people and see how I interact with them live. But I've now put it in podcast form for you all to enjoy. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Today's episode is with comedic ventriloquist Joe Gandelman. Joe Gandelman has a very unique backstory, and today he is based in San Diego, California, and performs for family, children, and corporate audiences. His ventriloquism comedy show. I look forward to introducing you to my friend Joe. I am Joe Gandelman. I am a comic ventriloquist. And if you think I'm lying, well, you haven't heard about me. I'm not, I'm not in the who's who. I'm in the who the hell is he. There <laughs> are pages in that. Really? So, uh, so Joe, why don't you go ahead and uh, shed some light on us? What is your ventriloquism story, your showbiz story? My showbiz story is really very extremely unusual because I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. And I was in high school productions, the Amity Theater Music Workshop. The biggest star to come out of that was if you saw Ghostbusters, the guy with the red hair who um, <clears throat> let the ghosts go in Ghostbusters. His real name was William Knight. He became known as William Atherton, a, a character actor. He was also in Die Hard. And um, he went on to do industrial commercials and then went on to movies. I think he was in the first movie Steven Spielberg directed. Was it Something Express? What, whatever. The first movie Steven Spielberg directed, Bill was in that. Wow. Anyway. My parents talked me out of it right before college. They were afraid that I was going to starve being an actor. And I mean, how many, I'm five foot one, how many Danny DeVito parts were there anyway? <laughs> I really wanted to do it. I like stand-up comedy. I love watching comedy. I, I, will, I will go and study, get on a binge where I have to watch all the sign, silent comedians, the first, silent, the first sound shorts, all the comedians, listen to radio comedians, early television comedians. And I still go back to a lot of those because I just like watching comedy and listening to different forms of timing. And it, so I put aside my aspiration for showbiz and I decided in, at Colgate that I would be a political science major and go into journalism. And I did that my senior year of Colgate. I went overseas on a, on a one semester project to India and wow. then came back and went to the Medill School of Journalism where I got my, my master's degree in journalism. And then I, I went to India again, India, Spain, Bangladesh, uh, probably about close to 10 years overseas, something like that. And then I worked on newspapers for about 10 years. And then in 1990, I really was feeling stressed out from covering the, the border for San, the San Diego Union and a bunch of other things. And I'd actually started a year earlier in Wichita on the Wichita paper. I had, I had gone to the Abbott's, is it Abbott's Magic Shop in Wichita? I, think I, I believe so. Yeah, Abbott's. And I got a really one of those pull string Jero dolls. And I got a book by an Australian on how to do ventriloquism. And I tinkered around with it. And then I moved out to San Diego. And when I came out here, I wanted to do it again. And I couldn't find the dummy I wanted. So I was an autograph collector and I wrote to Paul Winchell. If you look, can't see it out there, but on this wall top, that's Paul Winchell. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is Jimmy Nelson, a young Jimmy Nelson, Jimmy Nelson. And there's somebody who you know very well on this. <laughs> that's video. a, that's young a dated, that's a dated <laughs> photo too <laughs> of me and, and some of my puppets. Yeah. Really? So anyway, to make a long story short. So I wrote to Paul Winchell and I said, I can't find any dummies. What do I do? He said, Forget about toy stores. I mentioned toy stores. Go to 
a magic shop because many events are ventriloquist, many ventriloquist are events. He went to Brad Burks and he sold me, later joking that he that he cheated me on, sold me a um uh one a, a Chuck Jackson jingle, a big stage when he was bigger than me almost. Oh wow. Yeah. Big, big body. Mm. And then I had that one, but I wanted to get another one. I got a, a handsome Harry from what's the guy's name? Howard Olson. He was not handsome. He looked great from a distance, awful up close, but I used yeah, him. Handsome from a distance, yeah. And I forget the name of the guy. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Why? No, I, when I got when I got the the the, the 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 Rex one, I tried to, I call him Rex, the Jingo. I couldn't figure out who built him. So um, I I went, I was, my one real vacation that I ever took was about a 10 year, 10, 10, 10 weeks off in Hawaii. And I went to, um, Hawaii, and I forget the name of the person. Some people here may know who he was. He was a Freddie, and I forget his last name, a ventriloquist mm -hmm. who was famous for performing with Don Ho. He was, he was the Hawaii's most famous ventriloquist. He later died of cancer at a young age. Oh, but wow. I saw his stand-up act, which was great. But he had the dummy sitting there dead. And then he'd pick up the dummy and say a few things and put him down and go on. But I loved the guy. And I went after Bre Breaking the illusion and then pulling it right back to he life was, in front of the, yeah, in front the audience. And it was one that had a Hawaiian, a darker flip, uh, colored skin by request, I learned later. So it was, it was oh, Chuck wow. Jackson. He didn't tell me it was Chuck Jackson. He said, um, I don't know who made it, but um, go to this company. It was Mayor Studios. And Chuck oh. later said to me, he says, well, some ventriloquists don't like to tell who really made their figures. I don't know if that, I don't think that was really the case. But then I contacted Clinton Detweiler, who said it was uh, made by Chuck Jackson. So meanwhile, I'm doing this as a hobby. And I had this idea that, so, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm curious, Joe. So what, you said that you did uh, you theater in high school. Is that correct? Yes, I did. Did and you the do theater, any like writing for for theater? Any like playwriting or anything like that? Well, or, I did. No, so you just went from theater and then you my, just went directly into my from, play. From, play writing was every morning when I announced did the Pledge of Allegiance, and I did it <laughs> like a radio show with a couple of jokes. Right. This bit in those days, the assistant principal was supposed to be. They weren't supposed to ever show the smiling discipline. They walked around like this. Mm -hmm. He'd go, Mr. Fenton, he'd be in the office going, I just go, because my jokes are so bad. I say, oh, when did the cookie crumble? Why did the cookie crumble? Because the mother was away for too long. Now, let's get to the place of the land. But you, oh, so, so, but you, you started your, your comedy career doing the- I did the... comedy on the loud, yes, on, on the Wow. Loud. And it was, so that was, in, that was in high school? Yeah, and the one teacher hated wow. me, kept complaining to get me off the air, but they kept me on the air because the principal liked me and the uh, kids liked me. And I got actually, I actually got elected um, vice president of the school at one point too. So it wow. it was good politics. But when I when I <laughs> but off, my off a cookie was, joke. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have huh. awful ones. I forget. They're, they're, <laughs> the best one I used, and yeah. um, uh, and I also would I'd also do satire on somebody like one kid's nickname was Chewy, and I say. All the, the band needs to report to, to the band room at three o'clock. Everyone plus Chewy, except Chewy, and he got really upset at the joke. Complained, got me censored. Um, but I did that every day at high school for my my um, uh, junior and senior year. Every morning, wow. I had my own little radio show. I took an out, but I always have a couple how of did jokes. You, how did you get? How did you get that? Did I just say, "Hey, we'll have Joe do this," or did you offer? I, or how did I volunteered, and I was a ham because in the theater group. Oh, okay. So you're already I, the class clown, and then they sort yeah, of like I was, voted, I was voted the class. Yes. Okay, neat. Yeah. And um, 
Uh, my fact, I just have my, I have my um, yearbook here that I went through to get a picture because this yearbook thing. Yeah. I, looked, I didn't realize my mother, mother left a note saying, I got a big kick out of this, finding this in your yearbook. I didn't believe you were, you were so, so popular before. You have, you have, we were quite popular. So she read over all the little comments of my bad jokes. Oh. But what, what I was serious about was watching anything, any kind of comedy. And I studied the comedians. I studied, of course, I'm a baby boom. All those baby boom. How, when did they, how long did they pause? Where did they look? How did they make a joke funny? Um, and, uh, and I also like slapstick, but I, I like stand-up comedians. Sure. And um, my favorite, of the, well, my favorite was always, I like George Carlin, who's a lot more cutting edge, but I like Louis Anderson. And the guy who died, John, per, per, what's his name? Pinnett. Pinnett. Oh, he was, he was my favorite of all of them. Great. But what I did in high school, it got me really into doing theater. I wanted to desperately doing acting. So I was, yeah. I was uh, nicely, nicely assigned in uh, Guys and Dolls. I was um, Uncle Max and Sound of Music. My big achievement was to be Fagan and Oliver. And they had a student orchestra doing the score. We did. Oh, that must have been so neat. Two matinees and three evening shows. The tickets being sold and stories in the paper. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that got me started, but then once I, I, I love Oliver, it's one of my favorite productions. I loved it, and I cried when that was over because I was so into that character, and I really got into it doing the songs. And when I when I put the makeup on, my sister couldn't believe it was me up there. People saying, "Oh my God, Joe!" So when I went to Colgate, I put that all behind me. But then, even then, showbiz reckoned because beckoned because somebody heard me playing Harry Schilling, heard me playing in the music room and singing. I've lost my ability to to uh, play the piano now. I'm going to try to go back to because I got. Repeated stress syndrome when I started doing vent and I did the piano. So I, I haven't done it. But um, right. so one day I'm singing in the Colgate, Colgate sing, music room and Harry Schilling was passing by. He said, you sing? And I said, yeah. He said, I dare you to do it at the Colgate pub. And I said, I'll do it under one condition. We were on the Colgate news. I said, I'm going to put a review of me. It's got to say Joe Gannelman at the pub by Harry Schilling. A lot of white space in the middle. Two words. He stinks. He said, really? I want that. I did it at the pub and they, people loved it. I was doing, um, I did, I took a song and then wow. picked, picked a punchline and then the song did the punchline, but I did the song. Like we had uh-huh. somebody who could not stand in my class. If he's watching now, sorry. He was the president of the class, Michael, Michael. So I sat down and sang, Michael, 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 Michael. And I went like, Michael. And then the middle, middle of it, Mike, 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 Mike. Everybody sang and they were all singing, Michael, Michael, Michael. And that got me going. So then I worked. I went to oh. journalism school. I, I freelanced it before I went to freelance in India, Spain, Bangladesh. I did a little piano playing, trying that act in New Delhi. And this is the ambassador's wife was very offended by me. Somebody said, you're in bad taste. And I said, you don't taste too good yourself. That didn't work. <laughs> and then, um, but then when I came back and was a serious journalist on the Wichita Eagle Beacon, they did a Wichita Eagle Beacon Follies. And I got back into it again. They asked me to do something. And I really got into performing again. So here we are in the San Diego Union. I had this very stressful job. I wrote to Winchell. I went and got that dummy. And I had this really strong passion, which I wrote to him about. He mentions, I wanted to perform at Children's Hospital for sick kids. That was what I wanted to do. So I started doing that about 1988, was it? 88 to 89. And I took so many, I was there so many, so often they had me take a TB TB test. And I go, I do a show for the kids. We go around room to room. Yeah. And one of these kids were on ventilators. I go back the next week and I said, we're so-and-so. And they said, don't ask. It's very sad. Oh, wow. And um, So, but what really put, put me over the edge was um, I was so filled with stress and I was doing ventriloquism part-time. 
but I really wanted to, I, I really felt the newspaper business was going under. And most of what I said came true, actually, in a different form. Right. And I predicted that they killed the evening newspaper. And right after I, a year after so I. What had the, pushed you into ventriloquism? Was it that? And then also, like, what made you explore that as a hobby? You know, the funny did, thing is. Did you do it as a hobby before you started hobby. it as a profession? Right? Most ventriloquists that I watch, I like them, but if I go to event convention, I'm not really entertained by all the, all the ventriloquists. Mm -hmm. I don't think somebody can just get up with a puppet and talk with a puppet and that makes right. you funny or just talk without moving their lips. I, and again, everybody likes a style of comedy. There's people I'm sure that hate my style of comedy, but I learned long ago that I'm going to do the comedy that I like doing that I think is funny and I'll try to adjust it, but I'm not, I am not going to imitate anybody. So well, also you feel comfortable doing it. You have to know your audience and know what, yeah. what your, what your skill is and how. I went through all the things people told me to do. Um, yeah. But when I started doing, you said, what ventriloquism? When I was a kid, I didn't like Sherry Lewis at all. Because as Jimmy Nelson once, or I don't know if he, somebody once said, I can't watch her because I have diabetes. But it wasn't that. I, I liked what she did, her talent. But um, I think she came, mm -hmm. I, it just didn't, didn't strike me. This whole thing, sorry, people who, who um, don't like when you mention it. But when somebody did that, every time they sing or talk, they're going like this. And so it was it was it that it didn't seem organic? It no. kind of seemed canned to you. Kid, I, could, I was saying to myself, "Why is why is Paul Winchell smiling all the time when the puppets yeah. talk?" And I know people said it was his jaw, but honestly, I've seen other things where it doesn't look like he has a jaw like that. And anyway, right. I'm not going to dispute that because who am I to know? I know I was struck me. And same thing with Sherry Lewis. The but one also, I mean, it goes into playing. You know, being looking, not being and looking comfortable on stage. Right. And, but, um, you know, having yeah, the, funny, the funny thing is the one ventriloquist I liked who I didn't see a lot of, because even though I was a baby boomer, I didn't see him on those shows. I wasn't that young of a baby boomer, was the guy who did the Nestle's Quick commercials. I loved him. I idolized him. I thought he was the most natural performer I had seen. He has such charm. He was the person I wanted to watch doing ventriloquism. And it's ironic because around 1990, right after I started doing this, I hope I'm not doing too long-winded on this, but I've- No, been, no, I, this is why, why we're here, why yeah, you're here. Yeah, it's interesting, because here I was in the newspaper, very stressful job. All I know is I wanted off the newspaper, I'm gonna air some of my psychological stuff here. I went to the, to the public, um, to our human resources department, and literally wept saying, I don't wanna do this. All the office politics, the newspapers are going under, you know, I think it's when I, we did something on the San Ysidro massacre, um, all these people that were shot, that were murdered in the McDonald's by James Huberty in a year. And I was in on that story. And a week, year later, they called me and everybody who spoke Spanish and said, we want to do a follow up. And I said, what do you want me to do? And they said, we want you to go into Baja, California and find find a lot of the families that lost relatives and ask them, how do they feel a year later? And I looked at them, I said, how do they feel? How do you think they feel? They're just going to cry. Yeah. And they said, we have to do this because the L.A. Times might beat us. And I said, so let them. Yeah. I knew then I was done with with journalism. And um, and that I must I have been a, a relief to transition from something that was so well, kind of. I, I quit with not a single agent, and I did go to my first ventriloquist convention in 1989. That turned me on even more. And so before you had quit um, your current job, had you done shows, and did people hire you for for events? I did shows, like and I would admit I even did those shows because you know I started way before as true as I, I was ready to do shows. Those were god awful mm -hmm. shows. Some of those. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I use a, a main puppet made by Artie Frieda, big, big, big well endowed stuff, dancer's costume with an insult head. She went like this. Oh, wow. 
And so I would do that. And I do birthday parties. I did picnics. Mm. You need it. But I wasn't doing a ton. But I got a business license. Sure. Pictures sure. taken. But 1990, when I decided to do this, um, I made a decision that I was going to quit. And I told my editor, he said, oh, can you stay on until after the local election? So I said, all right. So I, November 7th, I quit. And I really got disgusted with all the politics in our newspaper. And I went into the managing editor's office. And a week earlier, she had somebody quit to be an opera singer. So I went in and said, wow. I said, Karen, I've got it. I have to leave because I, I want to be a ventriloquist. She said, I hope it's something we did. And actually, I could have <laughs> said, yeah, a lot of it was trying to get out of the newspaper, that newspaper. Sorry. Right. And uh, I, I was, I'm never in, I'm not in any kind of politics. I don't like to kiss somebody's butt. And sure. I don't grab hand people. I'm very honest with people. I don't mm -hmm. do any of that kind of stuff to make brownie points with anybody, right. which is a flaw, but that's the way I am. So as I said, I said, no, I want to be, and as I'm leaving out the door, I couldn't resist. I poked my head back and I said, Karen said, what? I said, I'm sure I'm not the first dummy that's walked into your office today. And then I turned in. And uh, I had nothing, not one that's show. Like yeah. It's like the ending credit of a movie scene right there. That's great. And not one agent would book me. One agent said to me, he said to me, well, when you're ready, we'll book you. I thought the hell with that. So I hired a guy because I then had a newspaper. I had good credit. I got a terrible debt, awful debt. Sure. But I hired a guy to be my public relations person, put up press releases about me, went to me on some shows, horrible shows. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of shows. And one day I got, I got a call from the agent. How did you do that show? That's one of our clients. I said, well, you know, you, you could have booked me. Uh, you yeah. said I wasn't ready, but this is my number. You can always call me. But I got almost no help from agents. The convention, I need to tell you, the first yeah. convention I went to, people were very nice. But there were only a handful of people that really, really, really encouraged me. Jimmy Nelson became the first earlier. And I'll tell you about that. But mm -hmm. particularly Al Gettler was very, very nice. Al Cimec was very nice to me. Bob Rumble was wonderful to me. Um, losing track of the people here. A whole bunch of people were nice to me. But there's, it, it was on like five people really encouraged me, particularly Jimmy Nelson, Clinton Detweiler, and Bill Bowley were the big three. We were constantly talking. Now, Jimmy, I had Those found are some great cool. names. Yeah. In 1988, I thought that Jimmy Nelson was dead, and I was I was just figured out who built my character. So I, I, I contacted Clinton Detweiler and he sent me an email and said, um, I think it was an email. Well, he contacted me and said, um, yeah, this is, um, uh, we're, we're having the convention. Get back to me after the convention. We'll talk some more. And I saw these Jimmy Nelson joke files. I said, isn't he the, isn't he the one who did these quick commercials? And wow. I, found, I, looked I thought he was dead. And so I back and forth, I found out, discovered that he was in, in Fort Myers, Florida. And my parents had a, um, a, a condominium down in Fort Myers, in near Fort Myers, mm -hmm. and they were on Marco Island. So I tracked him down. I was an autograph collector again, but I had I had tracked him down. And uh, and by the way, I had autographs of the, of Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy. I gave all my incredibly expensive autographs away to finance going to a comedy coach who who is co coach somebody else and help somebody else. No, it isn't anything with Darcy Lynn. And I'm sure this guy was great to him, but. I wasted yeah. my money on this guy. It was an absolute waste. If he belched on the phone, he'd say, well, we should do a phone consultation on that. And later I went to Greg Dean. I'm skipping around here. Who sure. coached Whoopi Goldberg. And he was great. I did sessions with Greg. Except Greg would say, John, what do you think? He'd look at my, my, my dummy and say, Greg, he's a puppet. I'm holding a headset. I don't care what you say. What does John think? So John would have to answer him. But actually it did work out. Anyway, 
So I, I so I'm I, curious. I'm curious. Can we stop there? Because that makes me, you know, it, it's interesting. So you went. So Greg Dean was a comedy consultant. Is that what you said? Yeah. Before we get back to the story, yes, I I, I did one. I did a couple of shows, mm-hmm. and um, my material. Did he write material for you, or did he help you figure out your style, or did you figure out your style from he what took you an existing talked routine. to him? He took out an existing routine I had, or existing mm-hmm. jokes. We sat down and we wrote it, but then. He does. He he can find Greg okay. Dean, the dean of comedy. He has mm-hmm. he does incredible published stuff. He's sure. he coached Whoopi Goldberg, a whole bunch of people now. Besides that, he's coached that, that have become big stars, big comedians. And his his theory, is, without giving it all away, is first of all, I don't want to go. You don't have to go into all that here unless you want to hear. But he basically had me do a certain theory of of rehearsing and writing. For example, if I was saying a line, he'd say, "Joe, you're reciting." I don't, it's gotta be organic. Don't, don't recite. And if you wanted to, you could use a script, but you had to do association like Tony Robbins, word association, associations, just don't feel you're stuck to the script. Even though you have a script, you want to keep your sure. script. Be organic. Also, if you want to rehearse, that's different than practicing. You want to practice, fine. You stop yourself. You want to rehearse, move from that spot in your, in your house or whatever, and then do a full run through. Do not stop yourself because otherwise the mental critic in your head is going to make you stop when you're performing. So what Greg did that's some great routine. advice. Yeah. I had some routines that I had. I had one routine. I still haven't done in full about John going to the dentist. That's been in there for over 30 years. Yeah. I used bits of it and I had different people work on it. And then, then I took it to that one to Greg. He helped me fix some things. And one routine that a comedy writer wrote for me, charged me a lot of money. He actually ripped me off. A lot of his stuff was not original. And uh, he used to get this routine of John going to a comedy store. And, and Greg looked at that thing and said, John, Joe, that can never see the night of day. Every one of those lines are ripped off lines. This is from so-and-so. This is from so-and-so. You can't ever do the routine. So we'd sit down and he'd go through the writing. And and, um, and his form, basic thing was a, a, a joke is a shattered assumption. So if you go sure. into a room of Democrats and do anti-democrat jokes they're going to hate you because that's not their shared assumptions right Mm -hmm. Right. so um the same thing with republicans so i i he taught me some joke writing i did his did some of his course at books i went to his classes but i never could do it due to shows it's a long drive from san diego to la but i went to him and he changed my style of doing i'm a lot more looser so when you went when you when you consulted with him was it was it focusing on your your main uh character your boy character john John, mostly john i think we did one or two others but we did mostly john um so it was more kind of the the being um uh, natural and staying in the moment on stage type thing he didn't want to look at my see my my eyes and i was trying to think of another line right Mm -hmm. and he'd also he also saw a routine that bill bowley said he'd give me that he later put in a book but he said it was mine I'm sure people have used it, but you can't use it now. It's outdated. His pool routine, because very few people play pool like the right. older, like my parents did. And he looked at that and said, they should shoot people who write routines like this. I said, well, Bowley took it off an old burlesque routine my father had actually seen in burlesque. But my wow. father recognized the routine. Yeah. And um, he, so he, she tried to make it a little more current. And if that routine could be done until about 2001. Then nobody goes does pool much anymore. But to get you back. So Jimmy Nelson, I discovered, lived down there. And I went to see him the first time I went down there. And he took me to his office and we had lunch. And um, and I before that, I had sent him video. The scene, now, Al Getler, if he's watching, probably isn't. But those who remember the 
if anybody remembers that senior Wentz's lunch, I guess when he was 90 years old, the big one that Al Gettler organized, mm-hmm. I got this thing in the mail from Mayer saying, if you're a ventriloquist, you can't come send a video. I thought, well, I love senior Wentz's. So here I, I just had my handsome Harry puppet. I then was able to play the piano. I did the Bugs Bunny theme as my theme music from the old TV show. Oh, and wow. I, I taped that and I also taped um, Together Wherever We Go from mm-hmm. Gypsy. And uh, I went to a guy, the videotaping was just starting. He, the guy announced it was a big studio. He did it against the backdrop of, of a curtain in his house. And I did that song with the, with the character. And I had a scroll down thing to Senior Wentz's about how great he was. So oh, a week later or two weeks later, Chuck Jackson called me. He said, Joe, he said, what? Um, I just heard they had the ventriloquist dinner for Senior Wentz. I said, oh, that's great. He said, and they got some videos. He said, oh, great. He said, three of them. I said, oh, no, no. No, one was from was from um, um, Jim Henson. One was from another eventual skip. The who? Lily Willie Tyler. One was from Lily Tyler. Tyler. Yeah. No. One was from Jim Henson. Oh no! And one was from an unknown ventriloquist from California named Joe Louis. Oh no! <laughs> I had no idea that'd be me with those two guys. I said, "Oh, don't tell me." And they liked. It. I said, "What? They liked me." They really like, they like me. Yeah. And that turned me on. And that's when I, I contacted Jimmy and I said, well, Jimmy, um, can I send you a, cause he said, he said he, he'd love to look at one of my practice videos. So I said, I'll send you a practice video. Mm-hmm. So I sent him one and um, that letter I've posted on vent, the vent site also. I need to frame wow. it and put it in my wall with my, this is my inspiration wall of and people that I like in entertainment and people who are exceedingly nice to me. There was no hypocrisy, no, no game. They're really people who are very helpful. Who I, I look at it and I really feel a good feeling inside. And sure. um, um, Al Gettler owes me a picture, by the way. Um, but, um, and thank you. Thank you, Ken Groves. And thank you, Jay Johnson. Um, but um, so I sent him this thing and he sent me a great letter saying, saying, you know, you make it look, you, he liked the way I smiled. He looked at a couple of my videos for me, sent me critiques. So that really started it big time with me. I really was very fired up to practice. So in 1990, I made the decision, I'm going to just quit and set a date because no matter what happens, I want out of the newspaper business. I want, mm-hmm. it's a lonely run of showbiz to get in on, but I'm going to do it. And I, I got, I got called to, to a lot of, I went on a lot of auditions in Hollywood. Yeah. They give me no notice. And I went up there and did show audition for. So was it was it scary going into the uh, life of of showbiz ventriloquist? It just like out of nowhere. I mean, was that was, was that scary, or were you kind of comfortable with it because you've done shows? Or what was the... Every bit of credit I've had, I I was I actually did a bankruptcy at one point because not just that, but my foster son and his family being here and the issues they had, and they they weren't employed. And he had some other issues, and it was a mess. Some yeah. 1997, I guess. But um, I just really put all in with, with videos that I could try to do. And some were crappy because I wasn't doing a good show at that point. But I went all in at that point, And I just kept doing – I didn't turn any venue down. Jimmy's one who told me, do every venue you can possibly do. And I still believe that. Seniors home, yes. Um, sometimes seniors yeah. feel like you can, of course. It's like the worst place to go. They don't want anybody in there. Even virtual shows, I don't think they have any money to do that. Sammy. King also says time on the boards. Huh? <laughs> Perform wherever you can. Time on the boards is what Sammy yeah, yeah, I, That's right. So I would go anywhere that I could do it, right? And I did I did dabble in comedy clubs for a while. 
I had a long way to go if I was going to do that that audience. But I also didn't. I don't like performing for audiences that are just drinking. It doesn't. I know a lot of people like that. Yeah. It isn't my. I don't feel good doing it. It doesn't. It doesn't give me the charge that doing performing with a family audience, or an audience of adults, at sure. a big event, even at a corporate event, even some of the corporate events, if they've been sitting on their bottoms five hours, and here's your entertainment. A lot. Yeah. A lot of entertainers, including comedians, know that. It's like you're. It's like they could have saved their money because people are sitting down all night drinking. They want to dance. Anyway, right. I got off and had no agents. I think I'm doing this despite agents to a large extent and with minimal, like a lot of uh, the younger ventriloquists, even those who, those who are not that young that start now, they get a lot of encouragement, a lot of mentors. Jimmy was my mentor. And then Clinton Dittler was wonderful and a great mentor. And Bill Bowley was amazing. When he got sick, I'd call him every, at least once a week, we talked. I'm sure yeah. Charlene, if she's watching, knows that. And I was always in denial. But I always told him, you're going to do fine. You're going to do fine. And, but Bowley, Bowley gave me a lot of good advice. And I, so I followed his advice and, and Clinton's advice and a lot of the advice from Jimmy. And I must add, <clears throat> I went to see Jimmy because my parents were down in Marco Island at least once a year. And we yeah. once it was at his house a couple of times. Most of the time, we met at a restaurant. And um, in 2007, after my father died, my mother went down for one more year. And that's the last time I actually physically saw Jimmy. Because I went down there and we had lunch at the same place. And wow. we'd always talk to him and he'd ask how I was doing. And I'd call him about once a month. once Maybe not every month, but close to once a month. I'd just call him and tell him what I was doing and give me feedback. He'd always sure. say, no, I'm proud of you. And that made me feel good because Jimmy was the person that, as a kid, he was my favorite. That to me was ventriloquism, was Jimmy Nelson. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was neat. I got, to, I got to meet him a few times yeah. at convention and... and uh, you know, tell him how much he meant to me and uh, starting in my career. So it's, it's it wasn't the first convention. Maybe the, maybe the one I was only gone to four. They were nice enough to actually invite me a part of the convention this year, which I loved. Yeah. But I only went, I guess, two or three, maybe two. Was it two or three after that? Maybe two. But anyway, I think it was a two, three. And I think it's the one I went in 2001 where I was in a room and somebody, Farf was on a table and somebody said, an insult to Farfel. Jimmy put his hand in Farfel and Farfel put his head up and said, screw you and put his head down again. <laughs> I still... I still that's I, I that's one of the few times that being out of character is really funny. <laughs> he, he was one in a million. I yeah. said, I, a lot of people, a lot of people, whether it's... I interviewed a lot of people when I was a, a, a journalist also, whether yeah. it's people in showbiz or, or news personalities. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I also met, met some people when I was a ventriloquist. Um, with the Margaret Cho show and the guy from, was it, um, Frazier. I did a walk around and thing with him. I got to see a lot oh, of celebrities cool. up and no. people that are, that are very well known. Everybody, everybody who's well known is nice to a certain extent, but I don't think you, you can buy sincerity and I don't think you can buy, uh, okay. Are you, did you lose me? I'm still here. Okay. Can you see me? Yeah, I can see you. Okay. I can't see you, but that's no big deal. I don't need to look at me. I sick. So, um, but you can't fake. You really can't fake sincerity and really caring about people. And he was one person who really cared. He he was the real thing, you know. So yeah, that thing I loved. Different. The thing I loved about Jimmy is that uh, it was really neat to seeing all the the younger kids in the in the yeah. junior my competition run up to Jimmy and and ask for photos and things like that because yeah. they had been impacted by him as they'd seen uh, things from him from uh, conventions past and. 
and known him for what he's accomplished in his career. It's just it's neat how he how he still holds a, a legacy today. Oh yeah, and the thing is, no. I wonder. You know, there is a re real thing. I mean, the Felix mentions keeping Edgar Bergen alive a legacy, but I really hope they continue with Jimmy, the legacy yeah. of Jimmy. Because honestly, he was he was on a lot of live TV, and a lot of that is lost. It's not on kinescope or anything like that. And of course, there's a certain amount of his stuff that's available. But yeah. um, um, to me, he was he was about the quintessential. Because when I was a kid, and again, I know some people don't like when I say it, but when I was a kid, I couldn't figure out well, how could Edgar Bergen be a ventriloquist? He's moving his lips. And I know I know about character, I'm impressed with the character. I, sure. I like the movies, but the bottom line is you can't show somebody who's 12 now and say that's a ventriloquist stuff and say he's moving his lips. So mm -hmm. lip movement is a certain thing you really have to try to aspire to. And I notice a lot of times people say it doesn't matter are the people who move their lips. I, I think that Bergen was one of the best uh, people to, to um, create a, a foundation for what a character is in a, but, in a ventriloquist style performance. But Jimmy was really good at, at like, when you think of ventriloquist, I think of Jimmy Nelson and, well, like, his whole if look. You, and if you go back and look at the old Vitaphone, there's a set of Vitaphone shorts mm -hmm. that they remastered. And there's yes. one that shows, a couple that show him from his vaudeville days. You'll notice he leaned towards the character a little more. He didn't bob his head as much because his problem in his later years, he bobbed his head in the puppet stall. I mean, I know this is sacrilege to say it, but I'm very honest about things. I watched him on a kinescope from a, a part of the old great thing of him in the old Jackie Gleason show, variety show once you, the set you can buy, which is probably going to be out of print soon, but it's in color and everything. And he was great, but again, the head bobbing and all this, but you look at the kinescope, it's a different creature because he looked, he looked into the character a little more. He barely moved his lips and so he, that was steady. It's when he went on radio and in later years that he didn't feel like it was that, that important. Right. I, I don't think anybody else can get away with it. But yeah. I, back to ventriloquists. Um, yeah, so Jimmy was really my lifetime mentor. And the last I talked to him was um, probably a, 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 a month before he took ill. And I talked to Betty like right after he took ill. Um, but he was the one who... Winchell, Winchell is the one who encouraged me by sure. responding to my, my uh, autograph with, with a great letter, which is up on my wall. And uh, Jimmy was oh, the Paul one. Winchell? Who, okay. Yeah. It's, if you can see it, it's up on this wall up here. I don't know if you can yes. see it. Yes. Yeah, we can I see I can see myself moving on that screen, which is no big deal on my end. But, oh, you um, can't? Okay. No. You, what can you see? Can you see, can you see still anything? Picture. It's still a picture huh? of me. It's a still picture of me. I can oh, see. Oh, and that's just your internet connection, but but you're you're good over, on my end. Everything's well, good. Unless I see myself on on screen better. <laughs> um, Dennis Daniels uh, said, "Landon, how do these historians honestly relate to you and yours?" Um, and then do do any uh, Dennis Daniels commented uh, through Facebook. He said, "Do any modern day events bring the flavor of a Jimmy Nelson or my hero Paul Winchell?" What do you think? That's an interesting question. I don't think so. I mean, I think um, I, th I think it's evolved. I think every every ventriloquist that I admire today that's that's um, of the twenty first century and that's um, that's a they have their own style. I mean, Dunham's got his own thing. Dunham is kind of uh, Jeff Dunham is more of a stand up comedian that has puppets, well, and that's like what he's known for. You've got Strassman, who's more theatrics, which I also admire. Awesome. Um, as each presidency, which there's books on this also, as each presidency is shaped by the prevalent media of the time, whether it was vaudeville, influenced by vaudeville, influenced by radio, Roosevelt radio, influenced by TV, Kennedy with TV, Reagan with TV in the movies, um, 
uh, now you have Donald Trump with the internet, and that's not, mm -hmm. not a political, but they're in, they're influenced. Every generation of ventriloquists is influenced by that generation of ventriloquists and that style of comedy. So I tend to go with, see, Axel is rightly said, I tend to be a little more slapstick in my comedy. I like, I like sure. a quick interchange. I like jokes. I don't, I can't just do attitude when I do my show because it bores me. I get bored. So I like a lot of jokes. I like to keep it tight. Like the video, I, I, videos on YouTube that I put up are going to be very tight. I just finished castrating one routine right now. Just like, oh, oh man, yeah. Major, major, major um, um, circumcision of a routine is what I did to me. Yeah. Um, but I think that um, uh, every generation is influenced. So the people that are coming up now, they're influenced by by Jeff Dunham. They're influenced by Terry Fader, and that's the way it always goes. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also a real value people are interested in comedy, going back and studying different forms of comedy over the years to see what makes somebody funny, whether it's a silent comedian with their facial expressions, how they play to the camera, which a lot of people are doing now on, on, the, on the internet, or sure. um, the kinds of the ways they use silence, how long timing was. So Jimmy was definitely of the era of vaudeville, right? radio, mm -hmm. television. Now, another thing, Jimmy Nelson, if you go back and see the kinescopes of um, Jimmy or also of um, Paul Winch, a lot of the variety shows, they always had a curtain behind them, right? You don't see that right. on TV today. Why? Because that generation had been influenced by the days of Woodville, that whole generation. Even when it was out of date, the whole custom was a curtain. Now sure. you barely see curtains anymore, so they're not putting it on TV using yeah. backdrop. You'll see very, very few ventriloquists have a curtain if they do a, a viral show. They might if it's a backdrop, but but curtains aren't the big thing. So everybody's influenced by the media of their time as our ventriloquists. I just hope that, you know, in keeping the legacy going, that the vent convention really, really, really makes sure that every ventriloquist knows about Jimmy Nelson because they will always know about, about, um, uh, uh, so, uh, so I'm curious. Um, so two things, and that, and that's great, Joe. I'm curious because, uh, Dennis Daniels said, uh, what is your opinion on the future of ventriloquism? And then something about relating to slapstick to vent, but I wasn't, I wasn't very, I'm not well, very clear on the question. I have a couple of ideas for things I want to do with my puppets to very slapstick. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, I mean, when I use the Axtell elephant, I love it because I can do slapstick. He gets to squirt everybody, you know? Right. And I did something at the music box. They had called all these, a couple of ventriloquists do these live shows for the band, the Eels. They wanted to open up with a ventriloquist coming up the screen. And they had a terrible experience with somebody from, I guess, Ventnor, Orange County, or somewhere. And she apparently was in their one of their first shows. And the curtain came up, and she, from what I read from the reviews, she had a puppet that she said had Down syndrome, and it was X-rated in such bad taste oh, man. that I got myself and a couple of other ventriloquists who may be watching, not watching, got things mm -hmm. from a major talent agency in LA saying they wanted somebody who could do a G-rated, squeaky clean bit for the right. ears. They explained mm. what's happening. They didn't want anybody on the stage, no risks. So the, the music box closed down, but it was a very famous concert music place in, in, in L.A. And they opened wow. up this, in this beautiful old theater. The curtain comes up, and I see the people standing there. I had puppets ready. I thought, what the hell? So the people leaning against, were leaning up right against the, the platform of the screen of the stage. They all got sopped with the elephant. Soon as it opened up, until they ran out of water. <laughs> oh, wow. They couldn't resist. Yeah, yeah it was a short bit, and they loved it. They really they kept coming back and thanking me. That's because, awesome. you know, I think there's good points you do take. So do you, 
So do you think slapstick is the past? I mean, are there any uh, slapstick no, comedians? I, I, I never really sit down and think is it the past. I'm sort of point now, look, when I started my first vent convention, they were all saying, don't use, can't use soft, hard figures. Don't use hard figures because they scare children. Mm -hmm. My 30th year of doing this is on November 7th of this year, full time. Sure. It's my 32nd year doing it. I've been using a hard figure in all my shows, with maybe exception of one where the client really mm -hmm. insisted. If you ask the kids who they like best, the first they say is the boy. They like John. Right. My little, my foster son. And John is a hard figure. He's a hard figure by Chuck right. Jackson. There were three versions of him. And well, what's um, interesting is that that especially kids nowadays, like when I've done shows, uh, kids will ask if there's a. Uh, if the puppet is a robot or if there's a voice box inside the puppet or because of goosebumps. And I, yeah, I believe yeah. there are like movies with slappy that are, you know, um, now uh, more of this, this generation um, it's kids aren't really scared by it. You know, and it's also the way you present the, the act, but it's a, it's a great, and what I love about your show too, is it's an, a learning opportunity, which could well, you I talk a little bit about that? Cause that's, that's really neat. And I love that you do that. And when I, what I bring, when I, if, if, um, Somebody says, I actually start my show by saying, how many of you have seen Goosebumps? And I say, Night of the Living Dummy. And I always say, if there's kids, I say, well, that's a good, that's, that's good, but the real dummies aren't like that. And I just do a quick thing like that. And later on in the show, I, because I, kids will, kids, the first time when I did this, the first year when I did mm -hmm. this full time, I noticed that Jimmy Nelson came out and just carried Danny dead a lot of times. And I was told not to do that, which I don't do with John. But um, the first time I did a, I did a, first year I did a preschool. And this kid is four years old, came over and said, Joe, because I don't use my, it's hard to remember, they always say, Joe, Joe, do the puppets talk by themselves? I said, yes. And he went, yeah, right, and walked away. <laughs> Excuse me? I better change that. So I don't do that anymore. If they ask a puppetry question, I don't say it talks by himself. Or if there's even a special effect, I, I won't say no. I'll say to the kid, can you tell me? Can you mm -hmm. guess? And because I want to do puppetry, I'll say, I think you guessed the secret like that. And if yeah. you want to find more, go to, go to a website called Axel Expressions. And I, I'll give this tool on the website of Axel Expressions. So, Steve, I want commissions. <laughs> yeah, yeah Steve just said, because you are so good, Landon. Thank you. Welcome, uh, John. Um, yeah, so I try to do that uh, in my show. Janice Daniels said, um, oh, and, and real quick, I wanted our viewers to know that you also have a Dan Pace character that you let so, uh, someone from the audience try out, which is a great... Can you talk a little bit about that real quick? Oh, my God. Because that's a really... I don't know anyone else that does this. And for, and you you have a little hard figure built by Dan Pace. That, um, t t tell us a little bit about I that. I love Dan Pace puppets. Now, mm -hmm. a couple of, again, if I'm longer, no, because, you know, I, my mother always said to me, Joey, yeah. <laughs> I do talk a lot, but I'll tell you, um, and there are constraints when I talk at the convention, there was a time limit. Mm -hmm. um, but um, uh, what Dan Payne's story about that is I would let people get up and try a, a Jackson molded figure and Chuck Jackson hated it so much. I was at his workshop once. He said, you like it? And I he was holding, it. I said, yes. And he threw the head up and he said, take it. And he destroyed oh, wow. the mold. And he made he sent me the body for it. And then finally it broke. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, should I even use that? Maybe I should get that restored or some one day or something. So I stuck it in the garage. And then I saw the Dan Pays one. I thought, maybe I should get a Dan Pays one. Sure. And I got one the, the cross-eyed one with the red hair, you know. He's like this, mm -hmm. he has red hair with receding hairline. Oh. And I got the thing and I took it. I said, Oh my God. And I talked with it. It's as light as a feather because it's not real wood. And right. the it's like a 
And when he looks at me, even though he has fixed eyes, I swear he's looking at me. Mm-hmm. So when I let kids get up and he turns to me, I look at him and I, and I say, Jen, I said, I said, I'm not using this because he's creeping me out and everybody laughs, but it's real. Yeah. He, every time he looks at me, I can't help but look at him. Dan said there's something about the way he does his eyes that he learned from a puppet maker, but those, he makes great figures. Yeah, focusing the eyes. Yeah, he, he does great. And they're, they're super, like they're super affordable they and he's got, he's, he's an amazing artist. He's got a, a bunch of, just like, artist. just like Axtell is. Um, yeah, they're, they're affordable to the, uh, know to the starter not, or to the professional. Yeah, I know they're not made out of real wood and all this, but honestly, affordable figure. Once I got, once I got somebody some years ago. Oh, when you when you let what what is the bit that you do where you you bring up a uh, uh, someone from the audience? Well, I've let people um, even on some occasion if I don't have my regular one there. Mm-hmm. The kids are gonna, kids are gonna bug me afterwards. How's a puppet work? How's a puppet work? Sure. You know what? They can all find it on YouTube. My saying it's a secret. It's baloney. It's not going to work when people right. find it on YouTube. All right. So mm-hmm. I figure I may as well just give somebody let somebody get up and try it. And I really try to encourage people. If, they, if they're really good, I tell them they're really good. And if I and if they if they're if their parents are interested or somebody in the library is interested, I say, see me after the show. I give them the tell them about, I've done people where I've taken an hour to give them emails on on the vent list, uh, uh, the few the YouTube the Facebook pages. So you uh, have that absolutely. puppet in case someone asks and, and comes back. I've been over an hour and a half at times getting lists yeah. of people with all the links. Mm-hmm. I tell them I do not get any commissions on any puppets. I get nothing on it. And I don't sell anything. But these are this is how you can do it. And I urge you to look into the Ventriloquist Convention. And I've been doing that for like 30 years. I used to hand out the right. mayor catalog to everybody. The old wow. mayor catalog. Cool. I bought Ventriloquism in a nutshell. I get every school that I went to a copy of Ventriloquism in a nutshell for years. Wow. So I, I do have my little Johnny. Somebody called me the Johnny Appleseed of Inchilicism. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you've got a lot of... Uh, Where come from my shows? Go ahead. <laughs> I've, not, I've known you for... Uh, <laughs> fair. Why don't you go ahead and tell everyone. Uh, 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 Dennis Daniels is asking some questions. Uh, Steve Axel said, tell about your mafia show. Uh, we'll do that just a minute. Oh. Uh, Dennis Daniels said, um, uh, <laughs> I have... Three uh, figures who children love. Yeah, Dan Pays is uh, he makes he makes great figures. Um, Landon, uh, uh, who do you love using and why? Uh, oh, in terms of characters, um, well, uh, even this this is a Joe interview. I'll answer that question because that's a fun question. Um, I've got a Kim Pointer uh, character that's my only hard figure that I have, and his name's Scooter, and I I've been using him for oof, I'm 19. I think I don't, I don't know. Uh, Three, four years, something like that, uh, and uh, he's he's a great character, and and he always I have him in every yeah. show I do, but I I, I I build my own soft puppets too uh, at the original dummy.com. So I've you know anything else that I need I'll build. Um, I've got other characters that I have Mervin and uh, Jackie, who's a jackalope, and a few other things um, that I build for myself and for my show. But um, Scooter's been the one thing that I that I. Because I don't build hard figures, but I have, uh, I have to here. use scooter for quite a while. Some bi- some of the people, baby movers, may get it. I used to have a yeah. This shows how old I am. Um, I used to have a howdy duty puppet theater, and I like doing flub it up. And I can tell kids, the people mm-hmm. here. I've been doing ventriloquism since I was a kid. This high. Now I'm doing it when I'm adult. This high. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great timestamp. <laughs> So, um, 
yeah, go ahead and tell us, uh, tell us, so you, you, you've always told me, you're like, I've got a lot of stories of what not to do. Oh, God. And I don't know if the mafia one is, is one in that, or if that's yeah. just a funny story, yeah. but. I mean, one day, uh, if, I, if I ever go to another convention, if, if get to a convention, it won't be because I don't want to go, but, but after this catastrophe, because all the shows, every single show, like everybody else, this is how yeah. I make those, every single show is canceled now. I did another one yeah. this morning. Um, probably the rest, including one that was supposed to be at a mobile home park in Arizona, but they canceled because so all the Canadians canceled and went back to Canada. So they virtually nobody there anymore and they have no money. So yeah. I, do, I refunded a, the deposit to them. Um, uh, well, I could write so many things down. The first thing, the first cardinal rule that I've discovered, myself and other ventriloquists and other performers, I've been on a lot of variety shows, don't go over your time. Do not go over your time. And I'm not talking about the Vichilicus invention. So nobody better get the idea I'm talking about that. My first show that I did was a telemarketed variety show, which they've mm-hmm. since gone out of business. But there used to be a lot of these that went around, and they were sure. live, great live variety shows. Um, and I could talk about that sometime. But I went a whole bunch of these, including one that was run by a circus that went on a tour of was it 13, 13 southern cities in eight days. It was incredible. Wow. Um, but um, the first one I did, I went over and got, a, I didn't look at the watch and I went over by about 20 minutes. The mm-hmm. client was livid. He asked the agent for, for a partial refund. Mm-hmm. And I learned, I learned my lesson there. Cause I was, I was, I felt like I was going to get sick because he, yeah. he was so angry about me. And I was on another one. I was hired for, uh, uh, a, a, they had the seniors follies. Not cause I, I was that time. I wasn't a seniors, but they had a guy who was local out of Del Mar who was a ventriloquist. Mm-hmm. Hard time ventriloquist. Sure. In, in Del Mar, California. And um, they did this Follies thing and they had an MC. They said that the guy called me frantic because the year before when they did it, they went 45 minutes over their lot of time slot because they couldn't get him off the stage. He was MCing, but he was performing all the time. He asked wow. me what I would do. I said, Well, frankly, I don't like, I don't feel I need to put my foot in the door to make people see me perform. You know, I think right. it's better to do a little bit and get off. So that's what I did with my MC. I've always done that. I do a little bit with the character. I get off as soon as I can and then get the, try to get people applauding for the next act or welcoming the next right. act. So yeah. I did a bit of MCing, and that was the way I did that MC. Um, the first mistake is never, never um, really make sure you watch your time. If you're on a variety show or a showcase, I've been in more showcases at organizations, whether it's libraries or whatever, where people go over. You don't win any points by doing that. People think you're just, you're frantic. You're desperate. They love me. <laughs> yeah, there's one organization that did fairs, and they actually put a a, um, a, a, a a if you go one minute over your when they signal if you go one minute over that you have to, in your contract you have to pay them a hundred dollars fine. Wow, people about, they, you can't get them off the stage. Yeah. One more, thing, one more thing. One more thing. Everybody's sitting waiting. You get the hell off. You know it's horrible. Uh-huh. Yeah. And again, I I'll do anything for comedy. Right. Actually, no. But um, no. But I'm saying those you are know, your glasses. You want to be remembered, but you don't want to be remembered as the the boor b o o r who wouldn't mm-hmm. get off a stage because you felt you were either frantic or you loved yourself so much that you made sh- that people had to see that you're seeing you, and that's been the case. But it's also you. Know, you, you have to leave them wanting more. You know, right. do your do about, your you know, you know your tight five or whatever your is your forty five minutes. This is or, not referring to event convention thing. I've seen some right. things, but that's, I'm talking about at variety shows, at showcases, 
God but, yeah, it could apply to anything. I mean, anything, any type of venue where you perform. I mean, even a Cub Scout banquet or I, something. I was at a library thing this year, and because they changed the rules, everybody got, was it three minutes or four minutes to showcase something like that? And I managed to fit a couple of characters in four minutes. Of course, uh -huh. I talked fast. I did a boom, boom, boom. And even get the vent yeah. mask in. And, but the other people that were in my organization, I felt so badly for them because they had to sort of, they had to get people in for like, they, they allocated down to the number of seconds so people could say something and do one very quick wow. thing. It was yeah. hard to watch. But they, you know what? They're all pros, so they stuck to their allotted time. That's the first thing. Second yeah. thing is because you're having a puppet, and even if you don't move your mouth, it doesn't mean people want to watch want to watch you because if you don't move your lips, that that wears off after they notice you don't move your lips. Mm. I mean – what do you do after your lips stop moving? That's the big thing. What do you right, say? But you have to be a personality too. You know, you have to be a personality up there to grab their intention. And then the puppet is like, oh, that's, that's icing on the cake. You know? Yeah. The biggest mistake I, another big mistake I made when I started was people said, you have to do something like so-and-so does. Notice so-and-so laughs at after the puppet says something and, and or so-and-so looks this way or does this or the way they steer out when they're doing it all the time. And I discovered when I do it, at least, it doesn't feel natural, and I'm often, I'm often at odds with my characters. The whole thing isn't them insulting me, but I like the interplay with the characters. I like that I'm, sure. I feel I'm part of a comedy team no matter which one gets up there. I'm not just showing a character. When we're up there, we're a team, and I have to relate to each character like you're a team. And you know what? I was in a very bad car accident in 2018, and I'm still waiting for my, my settlement on it, which I desperately need now. But uh, therapy for me is rehearsing, because when yeah. I'm up there rehearsing with the puppets, I'm oblivious to the rest of the world, and I'm really in the moment. So when I do that video tomorrow that I want to put up on YouTube, I'm trying to keep it to a minute or less, maybe a little bit over a minute. I really slice it down. But I'm going to be totally focused on the character and doing the bit. And like Greg Dean said, it's going to be organic. When I do it, it's, it's happening. I'm not reciting. Sure. And so I've gotten up where I've done routines. When I first started, I put a new routine at the beginning. Don't do that. Always put it at the middle of your show. What I've what I've learned is I put it in the middle of the show, just a tiny bit like your troll. Landon sure. made me a wonderful troll. The first that was how we met. Movie. Yeah, it's because I, I had built this horrendous looking troll puppet, posted it, and <laughs> a video of it, which thank God for videos, because otherwise the troll wouldn't have sold. And then Joe had had purchased it, and uh, and then I ended up re rebuilding it again uh, for yeah. him. And then when we when he wanted a backup, um, it's. It was meant to be because every yeah. summer I'd add a new character. I was thinking, I have to add something different this year. I don't know what. Right. Often I've used the Axel character. And I love Steve watching. Steve knows I'm the yeah, biggest. Super cartoony. Uh, I, I, God knows how many people I've emailed with, with the website address. Um, but I really wanted something different, some kind of software, but I didn't know what I wanted. And mm. I'm, I'm looking, suddenly I see this person who I thought was sixth or seventh grade because you were way younger looking for your age. Yeah. And I'm thinking, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, Look at the way he's manipulating this thing. I that could work because it was what you were doing with it and the way it was designed. And then uh -huh. I want to email Landon. I, I I know because when I was in high school, I remember people do not give people in junior high school enough credit, creative credit. Because I remember my best creative juices, honestly, were when I was in high school and early college. I've kept uh -huh. them since. I think the most creative time is high school and college. If you look at the biographers, biographies of famous comedians. A lot of them are really launching around the time. Well, and also because that's that's the age when you're like a, a teenager going into your 20s and you're trying to figure out who you are. That's right. <laughs> you exactly. know, so yeah. Definitely. I, that's Why don't you go ahead and... If you remember, I asked you in the email, I said, did you do that yourself? And then once yeah. I saw Landon's, 
So the way I worked with that is I brought it out quickly in one show, in the middle mm -hmm. of one school show, and just yeah. had them say a couple lines, and they liked it. Then I brought them out for the second show and added a few more lines. In the third show, I brought them out because it was a, a group right next to me. I had them go out in the audience. I actually broke broke the way I normally do it and to give some five, high five. They loved it. And afterwards, I asked the kids, what do you like the best? And they would say, I like I liked the troll. I like them with the big eyes. So I knew then I had to develop a routine, which wow. I'm sort of still doing. And now you have that neutral sense. So, yeah. So, yeah, he's been, the uh, design has been upgraded. Since. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. So I think everyone wants to hear your um, your mafia story, which oh. is super neat. So why don't you go? Thank you, new, Steve. Land of the 19th top of his game. It's very nice. Tell you about my newest colony shows after. <laughs> it's tells, I don't know if you I don't know if you learned anything from your mafia show, but it's I've I've heard the story before. So go ahead and share with us because I'm excited to hear it again. There is a preface, and I'm long winded, but you need to know the preface. Preface. Sure, sure. And you and and if you could slow down a little bit too, because you're like sometimes you're like you you speak quickly in it, and we want to make sure that we get all the story. Yeah. That's the problem. I've had to slow it down on my shows, and my mother always said, "Joey, slow down. You talk so quickly. I can't understand." <laughs> Even my cats say, "Will you stop it?" Um, so, uh, yeah. Sorry if I'm if I'm going too fast. I'll go very slowly. That works. First, that works. It actually, took place um, twenty years. The mafia ago? show is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, like twenty years ago. I'm pretty sure it was twenty years ago, maybe fifteen years ago. Let's see, twenty years ago, close to fifteen years ago. Right. I got a phone call from a guy saying, saying he called me first. He said, "Hey." I saw your I saw your website. I love your website. Can you do a show like Chris Rock? I said, what? He said, can you do a show really X-ray with lots and lots of dirty jokes like Chris Chris Rock? Rock? And I said, well, actually, I desperately need the money, which I did. I said, but you know what? When I first started, which is another thing I urge people not to do, I people said I should be doing X material, and I bought a bunch of X material, and I hated it. It doesn't. You can suit put that me. on your website. You're the Chris Rock with puppets. <laughs> <laughs> No, I tried doing some. That's, oh, people man. know that, too, tell them, but I did experiment with that for a very brief right. period. So I said, you know right. what? I, I could, I could try to do it. I have material, but it's not me. And even though I could use the show, this isn't a line I'm giving you. But I'd rather refer to some agents, and I'm sure they can hook you up with somebody who can give you a good X-rated show. Maybe there's a ventriloquist, maybe there's a comedian, but I can't give it to you. My regular right. show, I could. The most I could ever do is. PG-13. Maybe there's a little R in at, at most, but even that I barely do. So um, he calls me back a week later and said, no, I want you. And I said, I can't do Chris Rock. Said, I'll take you anyway. I want you for my show. He said, you know, it's, this, he, he said, um, um, the show is um, for my girlfriend. She's doing a round the world tour and a whole bunch of guys are going to be there and other, other women. It's Donovan Steakhouse, which I think closed, but it was the most exclusive steakhouse in San Diego. So I'm going wow. and loading, and I take a look at the crowd. And first of all, the most beautiful women I've ever seen with the most ugly pe men I've ever seen, except for the host. And I'm walking out loading, and one guy said to me, sitting at the other table, and said, do you know what that is? And I said, what? He said, it's a high-priced gentleman's club. I said, oh. So I'm going in there, and I'm doing these jokes, and they were PG-13 at the most. And some jokes, wow. maybe a little are. And the uh -huh. guy who hired me, the guy who hired me is almost peeing in his pants. He loved every joke I did. Wow. Too. So they, was it an R show? Was it no, a, it was a PG thirteen slightly, PG -13. slightly R show. Yeah. And I did the lip sync with that I did 2D fruity with the wigs. 
Mm-hmm. And so a week later, I get a phone call from this other guy, and a brassy voice says, hey, a friend of mine used you on his show about a week ago for his girlfriend. I said, yeah. He said it was great. A lot of other people said it was great. One of the guys said it sucks because you weren't dirty enough. I want you to do my Christmas show. I said, okay. <laughs> it's going to be me and my friends in a company. I said, what company? Oh, we're in a business. We're... I'll tell you one more when you get there. So I always, I always, another thing to tell people if you're watching, always show up early for a show. Mm-hmm. Always do not cut it short and leave yourself plenty of time to make sure you can get there early. Once in a while, you're going to have something that goes wrong, but do not cut it short. People I always end up showing up like an hour and a half early. <laughs> so, yeah. so anyway, I show up at the place called the Butcher Shop Steakhouse, which is a great steakhouse in San Diego. And it used to be owned by Roberto de Felipe that a lot of people claim was linked to the mafia. And um, there were a lot of articles about that. And when I was when I was um, on the newspaper, people claimed it was mafia linked. Who knows? But all I know is there were big pictures of Frank Sinatra with his arm around him. There were so guys, a lot of guys in there, um, and they were they were big beefy guys sitting at tables. So who knows? But that was actually considered. The rumor was, and they ran the boxing, and they still do the boxing. They have some some very good pizzeria restaurants and restaurants in San Diego, but not the butcher. Sure. So the butcher shop was owned by that, and I, the door opens and it looked like the back room in Goodfellas. Oh. The, guys, the guys had decks the size of, of a football field, sitting there like this, with, with either beautiful wives or clearly wives they've had a very long time, a long time with. You could tell right. they didn't want me up there when they said they want we have some entertainment. And so I start doing my jokes, and the guys are like this, and the women are women are smiling or laughing a little bit. Uh-huh. But they don't want to laugh too much because their husbands aren't laughing. Then yeah. I get to the lip sync I did. I thought, what can I do? I can't. See, as we know as entertainers, all entertainers, you can't say, gee, you don't like me. I guess I'm going home. You've got to stay there and try to do your show. You can't cut it short to five minutes. So I tried everything in the book. I did. I tried everything. I tried political stuff. I tried. I did try a little X. I tried everything I could possibly do to get them going. But guys didn't want me. They wanted a, male, a female stripper is what they wanted. Right. But it looked just like the scene out of Goodfellas. So I then I thought, I'm going to go to the lip sync because that never failed. Sure. Now I'm going to do a lip sync. I'd like to get five people from the audience to come up here and help me out. No hands go up. Nobody's going to help me out. If nobody comes up here, I guess i got to stay here all night. Is that going to get you up? <laughs> Somebody get up. And the people in the back push. They literally push this one guy. No, 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 no. He gets up. He's towering oh, over me. And he leans down at me and puts his hands in my shoulders and says, I don't do lip syncs. His, his breath smelled of like whiskey and peat and spaghetti sauce. I don't do <laughs> I said, you can do a lip sync and people are going to love you. Anymore when I come in, all I can think of Joe Pesci in that scene where they bam, bam, bam to the waiter. They're going to yeah. tap my legs. Somebody else comes up and another person comes up and says, he said, we're going to do a lip sync and move your mouth and move your mouth. Hello, hello. And I'm still doing that awful number because it's so stupid and dumb that people like it. What is the um, number? Tutti Fruity and so old that you can't even get the yeah. lip music of it anymore. So you put you put you put him in this in this ratty wig and you sing Tutti Fruity. Yeah. Everybody wears rotten wigs and they sing Tutti Fruity. I'm, I'm thinking of keeping it in because it's so right. old and anything. awful. It's it's not it's nothing like Jimmy Nelson or what anybody does. I'm not a singer and they're all looking stupid because of my voices and what they have to do to make it work. So mm-hmm. all the other people they came up there. And um, then I say, okay, now we're going to put on wigs, guys. 
I don't do wigs. I don't wear wigs. And I looked at him and I said, you're going to put on this wig and you're going to like it and you're going to love it. And everybody's going to say how wonderful you are, but you're going to put on this wig. I said, I don't wear wigs. I put it on top of his head. I thought, uh-oh, I'm getting my neck broken any minute. He goes, ah, and he goes running off. So I had four people up there. Oh, and man. as I was getting ready to leave, I said, well, thank you very much. And I didn't even want my pay. There's certain shows that I do where I almost don't want the pay if it doesn't go well. I just want to leave. I didn't yeah. know I needed money. And he said, no, 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 come here. He said, I loved it. And he gave me a tip. Wow. Oh, Lord. Ah. And that was that, was that show. Um, wow. But every, I may have left something up because every time I said something, he leaned over. He was like this, like six foot mm-hmm. something and big neck. Oh, I forgot the most important part. Steve remembers. I said to the guy, I said, when I walked in, I said, so tell me about your business. He said, well, we're an Italian family. We're in the liquor importation, exportation business. I said, oh, I said, okay. tell me some Italian jokes. He said, not if you don't want to live. <laughs> said, oh, okay. Because I knew his name and I had prepared a few Italian jokes. It yeah. wouldn't work. No. Oh, man. Hey, my uncle's, my uncle, John would have said, my uncle's very old joke that I would have tried, a very bad yeah. joke. I was going to, I use this at ethnic jokes sometimes. Um, my, my father's a millionaire. What did, my grandfather's a, a, uncle's a millionaire. How'd you become a millionaire? Catering Italian weddings. I did that at the Jewish <laughs> it didn't work too good. I'm speaking fast again, but anyway. But that's the, yeah. that's the monster joke. It looked just like out of Goodfellas. And the guy was like, I don't lip syncs. I don't do lip syncs. I don't yeah. wear wigs. Wow. But, but that's good. You made it out of there alive and you got a tip. That's great. But I leaned down and said that I put the wig on top of his head and people laughed. Oh, I'm dead. I am dead. I'm gone. Finished. Done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's all. Steve said, Steve Axel commented, there it is. That, uh, <laughs> the part that you added to your story. That's great. Yeah, that's important. Well, that's neat. So, before, so when I, when we met, when I had met you, um, I looked at your profile photo on Facebook, which was then, it was a photo of you and all your characters, and yeah. you're still known as Joe Gandelman with his uh, big cast of characters. What inspired that? Because you've got a bunch of different characters in your show, most of which are um, uh, uh, characters from Axel Expressions, which are great uh, characters, especially for the family, um, uh, for families and for um, audiences of all the kind that you do. That's right. What inspires you to add a character and what inspired you? I mean, did it did you just wake up one morning and realize that you had that many characters or is it you like the I went to ventriloquism my first ventriloquism convention, I know people recommended use two or three characters and so and so uses two or three or four. And all I know is when I added a character, I like using characters. I don't think sure. it's laziness, but I like I always like short bits, almost blackouts, boom, 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 boom. I don't like I watched ventriloquism do, do these long character things. Again, everybody t- doesn't mean that, that they're not good. Sure, it's a different style. Everybody, sure. Everybody has their own fulcrum, their own comedy filter of what's funny to them. Otherwise, mm-hmm. everybody be every comedian be comedian right. be funny to everybody. Right? Like I don't find Chris Rock funny, by the way. A lot of people mm-hmm. do. Yeah. So um, um but I I started with the main character and then I liked adding I added some X. So I get turkey. The turkey was the second one I used. And then later I added um I got rid of the handsome Harry and I traded that one for the Jackson one, but I'd add a character and like it so much. I said, I don't want to take the other one out. Let's make it shorter. So next thing I know, I've got like eight people say, how many characters you use? I don't know. I just loaded them all in my car. And so I have one thing. And then what I do is I'd have a routine, like a long, long routine that either I wrote mm-hmm. or I found old jokes. I will never take a joke I hear done by another 
ventriloquists, if they use it later, fine. But I, I will not use a joke I heard of to say ever. That's my, my sure. If I, if my, if my show sucks, it's my sucky show. If it works, it's my show. But either mm -hmm. I paid for the material and I've worked with a bunch of comedy writers and, or I've written them and I actually write very, very good jokes when I write jokes in my own show. Mm -hmm. Th those jokes work the best. Or I've taken old jokes that I happen to like and switched them or they inspire me to write another kind of joke. So I had all sure. these characters and people said, how do you use so many characters when you have, and somebody said, how many voices can you do so many voices? I said, no, I don't. I said, Sherry Lewis did one and a half voices and she used a couple of characters. I have two, two and a half. So I'm using eight characters or 10. But I might well, use that, them. That's a great thing too, is that you can you can have so many different characters just by um, the way you change your voice. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna uh, do a, a uh, interview with Bob Rumba and we're gonna talk a bit about that because he does, he's got his, uh, Benhaven DVD choices of voices, I have, um, and I have, he's also a voice guy because he loves cartoons and he he can do those. Steve Axel commented, "Ha ha ha! I don't know. I just load them in my car." Yeah, that's that's like the my favorite line from this interview. She's so you, but you have. I'm sure that you have like stapled characters that you use in every show, and then you might throw in more characters if you need to make time or whatever. Like the old man character, I've only done mostly in the adult shows, mm -hmm. um, in various incarnations. I'm gonna put on sale the one by. Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I just, I'm exhausted today. Uh, come on, come on, Joe. Matt, no, that wasn't a map. My bat puppets are great. Um, come on, you know who I'm talking about. I need more tea. I'm I took one. Oh, Jet? Was Jet. The one that, yeah. That's a great puppet. And when I went to the convention and used your characters, they were cracking me up. If I had money to spend, I would have gotten one of the characters. And that, mm -hmm. and I'll, I want to pause you real quick because we have the best character. I mean, I know I'm kind of complimenting myself when I say this, but we have like in today's like event community, we have the best mm -hmm. character builders, um, soft puppets and um, hard figures. It's I mean, there's there's so many creative people, and it's really if neat. I, just, I mean, I've, I've I seen Axel using new mediums for 3D printing, and it's really neat to yep. neat to see you know what he's up to, and then you know Jet, of course, always. Has a bunch of stuff stocked up, and, and Marianne Marianne and all the hard figure people. Marianne Taylor puppets are great. I, yeah, she knows the story that I've used her to even one that got run over by a truck. But anyway, Steve, to tell you this, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I love her puppets. But the story that that um, for for Steve, when you mentioned all the characters, if mm -hmm. I do a stock show, um, the 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 Mortimer Snurd type character that does not have buck teeth, um, Norbert, I call him. He's only using the adult shows. That's a dumb character. I've used him in some kids shows, but I've, I like using the Excel ones instead because I sure. can stiffen the suitcase and they keep the same shape. So I had this mm -hmm. one client who told me about two two Halloweens ago. He was he is a I looked at him. He was, he's a major surgeon, million multi millionaire surgeon. And every every um, uh, Halloween he he rents a, rents a park and he takes he, he rents a park and he closes the park down has special lighting and he hires. People from Central Casting with big, real big monster cast of costumes that are in the movies. And wow. He wanted to be the scary ventriloquist, and he had a tent. The scary ventriloquist, evil ventriloquist. We walk in the little tent. I said, "Nobody's coming in." He said, "Well, I said, first of all, they might not like in scary ventriloquist if they see me. I thank you for the compliment, but nobody's called me scary or <laughs> But um, so I said, "Why don't I just walk around?" And I made a decision because. He wanted if me you're to a scary ventriloquist, what's the puppet looking like? <laughs> Imagine what the puppet's like. Jeez. Yeah. And yeah. I'm scary when I eat pizza and somebody comes close to me. But, um, <laughs> but basically, what I did for that one, I put every single character in my trunk. I had 
all my Jackson figures. I had the Dan Pace figure. I had every single Axel I had, including ones I didn't use. I had the main puppet, Marty Frieda, because I figured he wants one and a half to two hours. What if I do walk-arounds? I like short bits. You don't want to be walking around too much with one, one group. You don't want them to right. feel the test. But if you walk around with a lot of characters, you can do boom, boom. I, walk, I, I lost track of the characters I used. Was it 12, 14 segments? I used the head in the box. I used the lips, Axel lips. I used everything. And um, so I, I, I just put them all in my, in my trunk. And see, when people say, how many characters did you use during the show? I say, I don't know. <laughs> I lose track. I bring them and I tell you what I'm going to use when I'm doing the show. I might decide, yeah. even at Ben Haven, I was deciding, should I use so-and-so or so-and-so? So I always bring one extra one on stage if I change my mind. Because mm -hmm. I can flip right into it. But I, I never planned to, planned to do this many characters because, in a way, I could elongate all of these characters and turn them into longer routines, which is my goal this year is to do longer routines because I have the material. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I can do a longer routine if I'm traveling. Because now if somebody wants me out of state, I have to really pay a lot of money to ship my characters. Right. I have two big boxes of characters, and the Axel ones are great. I have a backup cast. I stick them in the trunk, in the case. Mm -hmm. They all in perfect shape. And um, you have, don't you have a story about flying? Because you've got the, you and I both have the Axel. I have a variation of it, but the Axel Dragon. Don't, uh, you have, don't you have a story about shipping the smoke or flying with the smoke yes. or something? Yeah, could you share no. that? Yes. Uh, most places, stories you can get on a plane with, with the Axel Dragon. With the, with the with the with the aerosol. Mm -hmm. So my UPS store, I'm, I'm I was their best customer when I did mailings, which is up until a year ago. I did thousands of dollars in mailings per year, and um and I rather than hire a mailing company, I had them do it. We're really good friends. So they said they could just stick it in if it goes ground that they don't they could put it in there for me. When I tried to mail it out, only one UPS place in all these years let me do it. No, a couple of them, but I had two of them, including last fair. Was it a fair I did? The one I did, um, something like that. Oh, I did a corporate show in Minnesota, all right? Okay. And that was a corporate show in Minnesota in February. And I flew out and I had the Axtell um, dragon, a lot of his characters. I had your characters there. And yeah. And what I do is the day after, either I have them ship it back or have it picked up by UPS, at whoever got it. Or I, if I can, I, I get my plane later and I ship it out myself. So I went to UPS store. She's adamant. We're not going to ship it. I said, well. The other place, the other UPS does, and she said, I don't care what they do. We're not doing that here. Oh, yikes. So I, I throw it away. It was, there were two, one barely used can and one unused can that were thrown away. Mm. Now, wow. what I should have done is send it ground to myself, I guess, if I was smart, which yeah. I wasn't. I was tired. Mm -hmm. But you can't send that UPS. I right. think you can just ship it regular post. So regular if post, you, yeah. If you have an event out of state, you can ship. The best thing is to ship that out of state. And he only mm -hmm. has a minute bit, bit in my show anyway. It's a very short bit. Wow, that, uh, you only have a minute? It's a very short bit. Yeah. Wow. Joke so how many characters mind. How many characters do you use in, like, your, your typical show? I lose count. You, you really lose count. What? It depends what kind of show. If I'm doing – I've sure. done shows where I've brought everything with me, and I've done boom, 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 and I've maybe had 10, 10 segments, 12 segments. Mm -hmm. I even I do some stand-up comedy segments. If they, if they like my jokes, I'll put more of them in. If they're not reacting, I move to something else. If it looks like something's not working, I move to something else. But I read the audience and what character I think they're going to like. And I'm usually pretty good at that, figuring out what yeah. to do. Um, so what is your favorite audience to perform for? Do you have one? Like a favorite venue? or I've like, I, like, I, like, I like adult audiences 
that, that are, I call middle America audience that want to laugh. Okay. But I'm not into the comedy club audiences. Yeah. Everything has to be just so, you know, it's so what do you mean by middle America audience? I mean, is it like, like fairs or are you talking about no. like, so I did the corporate show, for example, corporate shows. Show okay. Was, yeah. They were only, they're only, it was a medium, medium sized company in mm -hmm. uh, near Minnesota. And that show that I did, they didn't want any customization. They wanted just a regular show. Sure. And then the owner was a wonderful person. And the people were ranging in ages from 20s to 60s with maybe a couple of teenagers there. And I basically geared the show 100% to the audience that was adult. But it was not, there was nothing X-rated in there. It was made once very slightly our very slightly PG-13 joke. But it was right. basically adult humor mm -hmm. versus it. it it's the same thing anybody who's done a school, right? Mm. People who watch schools yeah. know you do a school that's K through three or K through two, they're interested in the, the, the quickness of the puppets, how the puppets look. Then you get to fourth grade through six. They're interested in your message and how the puppets look. But then you get to the hardest grade, a lot of people say, is middle school because they're looking around, should I laugh at this? They, you can't, they don't want people talking down to them. They don't right. want people to talk down to them like their kids. Your high school high school students is a different group. So every every group has a different way you talk to them. So I made the very good on that show. I was totally tuned into that group, which was a, they like they like jokes. They like jokes whether they were newer jokes or older jokes or ad lib jokes. They they laughed at every single joke that I did. They laughed at exactly where they're supposed to laugh on the jokes that were stand up jokes. Laughed on my little monologue at the beginning. They laughed at every single character I brought out. Wow. That and I like the shows I've done it. Um, and the variety, I love the variety show audiences, but mm -hmm. they have some don't have those anymore. <clears throat> yeah. And I love the, um, I love doing the schools. I love doing fairs yeah. and the fairs aren't booking as much as they used to, but they're still doing. And so um, this is, this is uh, a neat story that you had, that you had shared with me. What was the, and I, I can't fully remember what the event was. It was some, it was some, something you were asked to perform um, at or to, to co-host with, some of your characters and it was for like Hollywood hairstylists ooh, or something. Ooh. Cause that's, cause you got to see some, meet some celebrities. So could you share that? Very interesting because I, I got, I got this, um, these people that located me through a website and also love my, they like my website. They like my old demo. I have my new, my new edited one is on there. It's edited last year, edited down with yeah. some newer stuff. Uh -huh. but they like the characters and they like the animal characters. So they contacted me. And they put it down as a nonprofit. So when I gave them a price, it was sort of a price for a nonprofit in L.A. Sure. But then when she started talking to me, she explained to me about the, the A-list stars that would be there at the old Hollywood Hollywood theater. And I know because I'm a, I'm a showbiz historian in a way, I know that theater, the old. Um, it was a theater where they did Nixon's checker speech called the Comedy Hour, where they did um, uh, all a lot of the old. Um, shows on tv the hollywood palace was shot from there what's wow. the name of this? the one the hollywood um i'll remember it later because they changed their name it's not quite the hollywood not the hollywood palace anymore but so i got the call from her and she she was talking about um what could you do for the show and i mentioned well she said you'd be going out there with co-presenters this is a great story if you have the time so you're going yeah out yeah sure, share share the full thing great so she was very very nice and she said well this is a show to salute the people who are the hidden her heroes in the film industry, it's run exactly like the Oscars. There are videos, they get statues, and there are A-listers who get up, and it's done exactly like the Oscars. And it's done on, it's on some closed-circuit TV, 
And all So was it right? Is it is it like the makeup and hairstylists or what? Wish I could find the name of that theater. So anybody watching knows that theater. The one on in Hollywood that's the famous Hollywood theater. Hollywood Sunset. I think it's a Hollywood ah. Sunset. All right. So um uh so she we're doing this back and forth. She says, What would you yeah. do? I said, Well, I said, Do you want me to come out and joke with them or is scripted? She says, What kind of ad libs would you do? I said, Well, I could ad lib with them and I mentioned what I could do with she liked the, the, she liked the, the animal figures because the, the, they do their show every year as a benefit for the um, Helen Woodward Animal Center. So all these Hollywoods put on this massive thing. That's like wow. the Oscars where they wear their best best gowns and best best um, suits, and they're out in their best plastic surgery faces. Trust me. And um, uh, so um, so we do this back and forth. Then she said to me. Well, you know, what we're going to do is going to script it. She gave me, she sent the script. To me. What do you think? And it was typical Hollywood banter. Sure, you're back and forth, to, yeah. It's, they, you come out in a certain way and speaking, you're supposed to read it. And she said, mm. now, um, I said, so I'm going to memorize the script. I'll, she said, don't memorize it. We're going to teleprompter. I said, oh, well, Al Gettler, if he's watching, which he may not be, will appreciate this. And a good friend of mine, Harris Goldman, who I went to high school with, who later produces these major, major, Corporate shows, not ventriloquism shows, but just really major, major multi-million dollar corporate shows. He told me later, he couldn't believe the way I handled it. Because I walk in there, I always get there early, and I was really worried about this one. And I I, I tried to dress in my best dress jacket, but I, I won't sure. wear a tuxedo because it looks like I look like a penguin in it. Gave it away <laughs> a little time ago. Most people, I will not wear a tuxedo. And so I, I had a good jacket on with a nice tie. Didn't look mm -hmm. like my normal sloppy self. And I met the people and she said, I wasn't, I wasn't aware for what I was doing there. Cause I was, she put a big thing about me as, as co MC. I was, I, I was co-host, co MC. Right. And uh, Lisa Stanley who's a wonderful person. who's a big person, a radio personality. So they had, they had said you were going to co-host, but you didn't realize the, the magnitude at which well, you didn't realize I how big of a deal this event was. Is that what it was? Traffic in LA, I do not trust traffic. I left four hours before the show. It was four and a half. I got there for two hours early and I walked in. I was one of the first people there. They had the crew there. I met the very true to stereotype stage manager. She was really tough. And uh, <laughs> when I met the person who hired me, she said, well, Joe, um, here's what I want you to do. And and um, people are going to laugh when they find out how, how naive I was at one point. And um, she showed me that it's on a teleprompter. I said, oh, Go outside and see how it feels. And I went out, walked out on the stage and said, oh, my God, this looks horrible. Because a teleprompter, if you don't, if, for those men who never tried one, you're supposed yeah. to look, look like I'm looking at the screen. How do you yeah. manipulate your character? How, if you don't know what to do and don't know the routine, how was do you Was it on the floor or was it like one where it's like on the, the balcony? It was, it was, no, they had a podium. And I, I found out my presenter was going to oh. be... I was going to be the co-presenter with Carmen Electra. Yeah. And then the guy who played uh, people like Homeland, the guy who played the villain on Homeland, the first season, the evil guy, he was a soul in the film version of Aladdin. Uh -huh. All right. Steve Bechtel is going to love the story. I don't know if Axtell knows the story. Steve knows the story. So a little later. So I meet the person who hired me. Just <clears throat> Joe. So you're going to come out. and We're going to have you go upstairs. And I went to the bathroom. upstairs. Oh my God. Luke. And I, this is serious. Lou Costello peed in this toilet. Like, <laughs> Bud Abbott had the runs in this toilet. Richard Nixon went here. 
And I was, that's where they, where they went, they went above. And all the celebrities were downstairs in another room. And um, they insisted I come down for the food, catered food, or I, was, I took the upstairs. Right. And I was supposed to wait upstairs. And then I went, but I went through an hour and a half of run-throughs myself. Those were informal. And then when they started the run-throughs with Lisa, they asked if I wanted to be down there. I said, I definitely do. Because I wanted to see if yeah. I could figure out a way to do it so that if I was looking at the script one eye and look, could look back at the character, manipulate the character, and look at the speaker. Because I couldn't just look at the teleprompter. Right. And they I, yeah, I know I know Jeff Dunham uses a teleprompter, but I'm sure it's, it's totally different because of the pacing, too. How quickly the words show up and the pacing of the jokes and everything. But he's seen the, he's seen his script more than... Well, well, of course, right. Yeah, yeah. It's you're a, you're going to the line practically. I was told not to worry about it because it's going to be a teleprompter. Be easy? No, it wasn't easy because I didn't realize what it would take as a ventriloquist to do this. So I tried to figure out a way where I was came out. If you see the pictures, I'm looking at the posts. I'm looking like this because I had to at least catch an eye of the of what they said. At one point, I got out there with Lisa. So first, Lisa Stanley came out. Oh, the hardest thing I had doing was. After the performing I did is when they introduced me like as a big celebrity. Because she comes out and talking and says, and tonight we have, well, look who it is. It's Joe Gandelman and his friend John Raven. I had to walk out on that stage like I owned it. How you doing, Lisa? Hi, Lisa. And John said, how you doing? And I had to walk out like I had known her forever. That's and hilarious. I was a big star that everybody knew. And they're going, yeah. like, Joe Gandelman. <laughs> 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 really? And you're gonna, I have to tell them about perceptions because I'm, yeah. I'm straight. When I'm uptight or depressed or a medicine I take, I don't process what the people think. Mm -hmm. So I came up and we did the bit and I, I realized I missed a word and I felt like I, I felt I, I missed like a word. I also, but, but you know, I also feel like most performers are, are hard on themselves. I feel. No matter how, I, the, how a show goes, you know, because there's like, always room for improvement. And if you're, 